Hello everybody, my name is Rudin Spoker. Uh, welcome to a new edition of RZ Weekly. I'm here with Ramanik Mali Grafsky and Arab Johnny Solomon. And uh, this is a very interesting, unusual edition of RZ Weekly because we've just, uh, I think, uh, you know, in Israel it's been growing throughout the week. And I know in the United States um, it's become, uh, you know, it's hit critical sense that we're now in the full throes of the, of the coronavirus and the, the, I wouldn't call it panic, but the general wide-scale anxiety, the closing of countries and borders and institutions and shoals. Yesterday, um, yesterday, uh, the Teaneck rabbis issued, you know, uh, issued a letter essentially closing down the entire, uh, uh, the entire community in Israel. The government of Israel is closed down. So we just, I just we felt I felt strongly that that one of the things that we have to sort of balance between is on the one hand um, a sense of, of, of non normalness that's not a word but a sense of, of, of a lack the of recognition of this is extraordinary day extraordinaryism but at the same time the way that I personally function. Within that, you know, you all can see me on Zoom, is I went out and took my run. That's first of all, I can do that alone. That's not a problem. But that's what I need in order to, in order for, you know, in order for me to function in a way that's beneficial for myself and my family and spiritually. So I felt it was strong that we record for the people that listen to us and for the people that are there for us to share our thoughts and uh, for us to discuss how we're handling this issue in America versus visa and, and, and in Israel. We don't know in America, but in Israel specifically. So I want to talk about, I want to ask Molly specifically, because Molly has a social work background and, uh, and a therapy background. Molly, how do you think, like, Bibi, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he said something really interesting. And I don't know if you felt this way, but I don't know, him getting up every day, on the one hand, freaks me out, and the other hand, is like reassuring. He's like, he's like a Saba. He's like, you know, oh, he'll guide us through this. That's really the feeling that I get. And I think in America, they have the actual, exact opposite feeling, but it's not a political uh, show. Um, and he said that normally, when there's a crisis in Israel, they do everything in order for people to maintain their sense of normalcy, their sense of what we call shigra. He said, here it's exactly the opposite. We have to break the shigra in or, you know, for the time being. So can you talk a little bit about that idea of, because I feel like shigra, without, in, in the case of lack of shigra, like our kids are going to need a sense of new shigra. They're going to need something. Otherwise, it will become untenable and very, quick, you know, very quickly. So can you talk about the sense of, of that kind of sense of that lack of shigra versus shigra, and how do you have how do we find that sense of balance? Yeah, so I think that's a great point. Um, when Baby said it last night, I was like, "Aha! This is what I've been saying the whole time." Um, because and just I'll, I'll say this very briefly. Um, I, I have been uh, actually been following this since the end of January, and I've I've been very aware of what's been happening. Nothing has taken me by surprise, and I've actually been quite surprised um, at how many people. Um, were were having difficulty seeing seeing what was going on, seeing reality, and then somebody said something pretty smart that that actually helped me. They, that's one of the people who I follow who, who who's been talking about this said. Um, different people have different levels of adaptability to new and difficult and challenging situations, um, and if you're at, if your adaptability level is high, so then you have no problem recognizing that, wow, we have to change, and you instantly shift into change. But for many people, um, their adaptability level to change is much lower. And so that helped me understand, like, I was really frustrated by certain decisions that were being made, and, and I think part of those decisions were made 
by this idea. And I think Ruby's right. And I thought Bibi was right when he was like, it's like almost a mantra in Israel. When there's a, when there's a crisis, we have to maintain our shigra. Yes. And it's interesting, like when you think about that, when I think about the difference between Israel and America, or Israel and Chutz Laaretz, Israel is very adaptable. Like the, the stark difference between Israelis and Chutz Laaretz. I remember when I used to do programs in America, the Kolator and Mitzim would come and say, hey, uh, let's have a Shabbaton next week. You know, we'll do this, we'll do that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can have a Shabbaton in four months after we advertise it, if you tell me now. Right. You know, and, and everybody, you know, like, so it's very interesting that you talk about adaptability. When I was just thinking about that, the difference between Israel and America is Israelis, in one sense, they, they, they're used to this. Like, okay, today we're going to work and tomorrow there's missiles. Whereas I, I imagine people listening to us in the Gola are, are probably much more shaken by by the, the need to just shift it on a dime. Right, so that's interesting. And the truth is, I think there is truth to what you're saying in the sense that I've seen both of those things in Israel, right? I've seen this like stubborn insistence that we have to keep the Shigra. And I think Bibi was right in pointing out articulately to the country, the reason Israel has this, Lo yitnulish borotan, and we're not going to let this crisis stop us. We're going to keep um, going out and shopping and, and maintaining our regular schedule because in the face of terrorism, which was our usual attack, that's the best response because we need to teach the terrorists that they're not going to cow us because that will just egg them on. But this is a situation in which the proper response is, okay, everybody, what we need to do is break our shigra right now um, because the virus is not a terrorist. The virus doesn't care. Once we defeat the virus, right, that, the, like, the way to defeat this virus is social isolation, um, and we just have to shift our mindset a little. And I love that he articulated that because I think it's really true, but I think, Ruby, that you're also right um, and this I've actually noticed about Israelis as well. For all my like minor frustrations, like guys, cancel the Adeloyada, just cancel it, right? And then which because it, it's the answer was no because you know it's outside, and and then a day later the the Hanchaya comes out, the 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 advisement comes out, no more than a hundred people, and I'm like, why? Why couldn't you have just two days ago we were all partying, right? And I, I could have told you they were going to do this, right? Or like. Guys, just don't send. Just don't send to school. Somebody sent a WhatsApp to our group. Like, I'm not sending my kid to school. What about you? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's a great idea. Silence from the rest of the parents. That night, BB cancels school. So I've had a little bit of frustration because I feel like people are a little bit behind the eight ball. But Ruby, you think you're right that at the same time, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's so simple. There's a balance. Shutting down society is a big deal. Right. I agree. I agree with that. But I think I think Israelis have also followed the rules very quickly. Like, for example. In, as opposed to Italy, right? That's the big problem in Italy was that even though certain rules were put into place, the, the rumors are, and this, again, I don't mean rumors in the sense, but like Israeli, uh, Italy, Italians have been reporting that like they're a very social, boisterous culture, and it took them a lot longer to actually follow social isolation rules. And Israelis have been adapting; they have been adapting well. And I think you're right that that is part of an Israeli um, mentality, which is that we 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 we. There is, and I, and I like that the, the point that you made about balance, which is, right, meaning, and again, this is another thing somebody quoted, and you, you know, you had said something about panicking or not panicking, right? So, like, until now, it was like, everybody, don't need to panic. And the person's like, well, there's a big difference between panicking and, res and, res and reacting responsibly. And I think that mm -hmm. to find that place, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for that place of responsible reactivity. And, I, and the truth is, for all my personal leaning towards um, erring on the side of caution, because that's been my feeling since the beginning of this, I think that most people's responses, which is, Ruby, what you're reflecting, is, okay, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow the rules that are put out by the 
by the authorities that I can trust. And here I do agree that I think that the Israeli government and our leaders, for all I'm complaining, complaining about Israeli leadership, have been doing a fabulous job. And they have been, oh, first of all, just in their technical reactions have been good. And second of all, in the messages that they've been giving have, have been good. And so enabling people to find that place, which is like what Ruby said, like, okay, I'll follow the rules. But if I can take a run by myself, if that's still allowed, and I'm going to do that to, to help me with my own um, levels of resilience. And I think that, that's, that it's really important for, again, if, if I would encourage, again, abundance of caution. I think social isolation is the way to go these days. I think those are the things that are going to flatten that curve, which is what we want to do. If we can't stop this anymore. It's a pandemic. We want to flatten the curve. You know what curve I'm talking about? The curve is how yeah, many people yeah, get yeah. sick, right? Mm -hmm. We want to flatten the curve so that our um, um, our our uh, medical system does not get overwhelmed, so that we have time to watch the data roll in and know how to most effectively treat. We want to slow everything down, and social isolation is the best way to slow everything down. At the same time, um, so let's let's say we're given right. That's Ruby. That's a situation. Okay. So now I'm in this situation. So now that let's say I'm socially isolating, right? How do I manage that? And and I think the answer. You're right, Ruby. The answer is, what are my coping skills? What's going to help me? Um, and and first is recognizing like this is hard for me. And I and I and Ravi Lyofran put out a post that I thought was fabulous. And he's a Rav and a psychologist. And he opened. I loved what he said. Hold on, I'm just going to find it. It'll take me one second. Right here. Is that the one that you shared? Yeah, that I was shared him? with you guys, right? He started by saying, and I'm just going to translate as I read. He said, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this out loud, um, especially not in Israeli society, which is a, which, you know, has a certain like, you know, we're tough. Um, right. He's like, especially not as a male, um, which means also not as a psychologist. He's like, but I'm scared. And then I'm going to, he says, I'm even alive scared. Right. And he says, I, I, I know that I'm not supposed to be panic and I'm not supposed to be hysterical and everybody's sharing jokes, um, you know, and, um, and, and um, you know, some people are even saying it's all exaggerated. But he also says, I'm realizing, right, underneath everything that, th that there's real reason to be concerned, let's say. Right. We're, we're, we're in a situation that is new as unknown, which is objectively scary to people, not understood. We're not 100% sure how serious it's going to turn out. We're not sure how long it's going to go on. Um, there's a lot of uh, clarity. And, um, right, what, what do we know? That we're that our kids are home, which for a lot of people is challenging, right? Um, that um, the economy is, is, is under threat, that there's no medication that's for sure helpful, and there's no vaccine. All right. Um, I, I happen to think that this kind of post and this kind of – I think it's not helpful. I, have, I right. think so it's very that's, uncomfortable. That's a great point. And so I happen to think that his spreading, his, his, that he is very scared, I'm not so sure that's a responsible thing to do. Okay, wait, Because so that's, so some, that's the kind of thing that's contagious. Okay, and I'm, so, I, I didn't so see the I post, can. and I'm sure the responses to him are like, half are going to be great and half are going to be like, you right. should have said that. It doesn't okay, help. So my answer is, we have to be realistic. Nothing he said there wasn't true, right? But the question is how you, we all need to know how we best respond to crisis. Right. And I think that's really where the answer comes. The answer comes in, in like the reason I liked what he said was because the first thing he did was stop and publicly say, I'm getting in touch with what I'm feeling. Right. And I'm and I'm, I'm OK with kind of like accepting what it is that I'm experiencing. And my experience for him was fear and concern. 
And that's legitimate and that's important. That's the first step is to become in touch with like, wait, 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 what's actually going on inside me? That's step one. Oh, that's 100% fine. But I don't necessarily think it's important to focus on all the things that you're scared about. That's because for you, that doesn't work, right? Meaning, so that's my next point, which is what you do is you stop and you say, wait a second, what am I experiencing? And you kind of let yourself feel it, accepting it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, with, With like, this is all, this is my, this is all mindfulness, right? It's like, accept what you're feeling with kindness and validation, like the same way you would accept a friend's feelings. And then you ask yourself, um... Okay, what do I need, right? What would be helpful okay. for me right but now? Molly, what I'm saying is not what do I need, but how is what I'm going to do going to affect other people? We're, Bibi said it Wait, himself. We, we, go into social, we go into social isolation, not for ourselves, but for our parents yes. and our grandparents. Correct. And so you have to ask yourself very strongly, if I post this on Facebook, okay. is it going to help people or hurt people? about who should post what. I don't like when people post jokes because I think they're minimizing. So like, that's a larger conversation about like, who gets to say what on social media and whether what they say is wise or not. So I'm just saying something, I'm saying something different, which is it, that's, this is exactly the point, which is that like, you know, they talk about this a lot when they, when, when you, you take students to Poland, right? You have to tell the students like people are going to react differently emotionally and they're, and those, their emotional reactions are going to have different external um, responses. Some are going to make jokes. Some are going to um, d- try to distract themselves. Some are going to cry their eyes out. Some are going to, you know, want to talk about it. Some are going to not want to talk about it. And you need in a group, Ruby, because you're saying how we behave affects each other, to accept that everybody's responses are okay. You need to know what helps you, and you need to plug into what helps you, and you need to have respect for the emotional response of others, obviously given that everybody's um, within their behavior is behaving responsibly for the larger group, right? And take, like, you know, if you say, well, what's going to help me is to, you know, run through the, the, the town even though I've been exposed, well, too bad, that you can't do. But... Um, no, I don't mean run through the town, you know, on a run through. No, I, I know what you mean, but I'm saying area. you can't spread panic either. You can't do it. It's not responsible. You can't spread panic. And he um, should have edited. He should have edited written the same thing, but edited it and cut out the second and third paragraphs. He should have. I don't agree because I thought the second and third paragraphs were giving information that weren't spreading panic, which is a good example of how you and I are different, right? Well, we don't. We have no idea what's going on. Nobody knows how it's going to end. That doesn't help. That's Everybody knows. That's true. That's all true. The question is, what do you do with that, right? So, like, I'm hearing from you, Ruby, that you're like, what I want to do with that is, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what I can do right now. I want practical behaviors that I can engage in that maybe can make the world a better place, that can make the situation better for me and my family and for the people around me. That's a great response. That helps you, right? So great. One second. Yeah. I just want to, I think, I think part of your debate here is whether when somebody writes something like this, are they writing it as a professional, as you say, as a psychologist or as a rabbi, or just as a person, meaning Ruby, was, I think we yeah. all agree that it's okay for him to say I'm scared as a person. Oh, yeah, 100%. What you're saying is, 100%. What you're saying is maybe somebody like him should recognize that his words can has, kind of, shall we say, greater and that, reach. And, that, and, and perhaps, that therefore, there's a certain responsibility. However, if he wants I, I to say it in a closed side. group with his friends, 100%, I totally agree. And by the way, I don't make the big deal of it. It's not the end of the world, okay? You know, but I'm saying you have yeah, to be responsible in how you act that, today, because it, because fear and anxiety, fear and anxiety are contagious, and they that affect the people true. around us. But again, we can. Okay. I, I think I think that the good chiluk um, is Johnny's, which is like, um, as a professional, you have to be very careful to think about how your words are going to affect other people, um, and there you have to make sure that you don't speak in a language that's going to cause panic. 
Um, but I don't think it's invalid to express. I think Johnny's right. I don't think it's. I, I, you know, I don't think it's invalid to express emotion. But okay, sorry, Johnny. You know, I mean, actually, while Molly was speaking, uh, I was reminded of something I wrote a few weeks back, um, and it and it. I, I would have been taught uh, teaching about teku and the way Rav Soloveitchik approaches a concept of teku, which is obviously this uh, Talmudic conclusion where we have a debate which is irresolvable. We say teku, we had it just in Dafyomi a couple of days ago. And I, I mused that uh, until at that point, I'd been loyal and, and really found much wisdom in this lovely rabbinic line, en simcha katatas There's no greater joy than the resolution of doubts. And how how really we should often try and pursue an outcome that's clear to us. And then when I was reflecting on the words of the Rav, and I'm happy to quote just a few lines, I came to realize that, you know, sometimes we try and find uh, coherent and absolute answers when there aren't any, and we have to live with the, the incompleteness of knowing what necessarily is going to happen in the future. He said, I remember that I was once studying Talmud with my father, and I asked him why the Talmud didn't resolve the problem under discussion in so many cases. Instead, it concluded with the phrase teku. Why was no conclusion reached by the Talmudic sages? He said, my father explained to me that a Jew must apprehend that they cannot understand and comprehend everything. Mm -hmm. When a Jew learns that there are halachot which are ambiguous, they'll also come to realization there are other areas that aren't so clear-cut. In matters of faith, Teku will also be encountered. And my feeling is, you know, I'm not here to speak for Eli Afwan, and, and, uh, and obviously each of us are coming from slightly different places. We each have our worries, both individually, uh, in terms of our family, in terms of our student body, of course, as well. But I think it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, you know, obviously this is a very rapidly changing situation, though this has been a news story for a couple of months. There's been a very, very uh, significant increase in the pace of developments over this past week. I think all of us are actually quite shocked by that shift and that change. There are many shows, as we said before, that are closed um, uh, over the past, uh, uh, this coming Shabbat. Sorry? Sorry, Ruby's just laughing at me that I felt the need to interject that. Um, Molly is not surprised. She saw it coming. She saw it coming. No, no, no. I'm well aware. But as, as so apparently, so did Dean Kuntz in 1982. We've all seen yeah. that. Okay, go ahead. Uh, but said, uh, no, it's not <laughs> about However, exponential growth. But okay. However, however, there is a context. Geometric, not uh, exponential. Disease. What did you say? Sorry. Sorry. There is a context. It's exponential. The, the context like is. But doesn't matter. Go ahead. Uh, the context is as a shir that I deliver on Chodesh Elul, sorry, on Chodesh Adar, which I think has become more and more relevant. You see, we talk about simcha in Chodesh Adar, and we often think about this kind of very, very simplistic simcha of dancing and of singing. Uh, but the Gemara says in, in Tanit that what is the simcha that we have in Chodesh Adar that we should choose to have sometimes our most worrisome court cases settled in Chodesh Adar. And this leads Rav Shomazan Orbach, recorded by students, to say, uh, uh, This month isn't just about doing happy stuff. What is the point of Adar? It's to invest in the social relationships that we have through the Mishlochemanot, through Matanot, the Evyonim. To recognize that sometimes challenges will come upon us. Sometimes we'll have court cases. Sometimes, God forbid, there will be illnesses. But we know that we've got people around us, and we know that we're going to be there for people. 
And my sense is, we don't know what's going to be. This is one of those techo moments. And maybe Mali knows what's going to happen tomorrow. But no, nevertheless, Tachlis is, we are comforted by knowing that we have people around us. And our message should be that those who don't necessarily have that so close by, and those especially who feel physically isolated, alone, emotionally, socially isolated, that people still care about them, because these are worrying times. Um, and the message of Purim, which we only celebrated just a couple of days ago, I think is incredibly relevant. Maybe the parties of Purim weren't necessarily so well-placed and having many people in one place, but the idea of saying that we all want to look out for people, and as uh, Rambam codifies in terms of Matanot Evyonim, especially those on the margins of society, that we need to tell them that, that we care about them. That's critically important. So, I, I think that's, John, it's a beautiful message. I think we tend also, like those of us who have families, you know, you, when you hunker down with your family, then you're, you know, you're, you're not alone. Whereas people who are single, people who are elderly, you know, it, it's interesting because in the Yishuvim that we live in, there are very few of those single people. Whereas when you get into, you know, cities and places like that, we have, we have to be aware of it. We, I think we have to really give some thought to that. Johnny, you have something to add? Because I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to comment on something else. Is there something you wanted to add? No, please, please okay. comment. So it's interesting. Molly wrote something interesting about how Israelis are listening to instructions. So first of all, I think, like, I, I think of myself like as a rabbi. If I was a rabbi in in America today, you know, yes, they're consulting, but in Israel, in in a sense, it's much easier because you have a government and you have a, you know, for better or for worse, you have a ministry of health. And, and they tell you what you have to do. Whereas in America, all these communities, I'm asking myself, I, I, I wonder, you know, when, when they closed down the shows in Kina, did all of Kina shut down or is it just the Jewish community? It must be much harder to make decisions when you're acting as an independent community as opposed to a Moatza, and then you have a municipality and they're making decisions for you and there's a whole hierarchy. So that's something that I'm thinking about. And I like, I'm far identifying with, with Jewish leadership and trying to make those decisions. That's a very hard thing to do. But I was thinking about why is it in Israel that people are listening to decisions? Because Israelis are not always known for, you know, listening. So I wrote a piece about this. Interesting, you know, like we've all been on the plane where the, the stewardess says, you know, welcome to Ben-Gurion Airport. Please remain in your seat until the, the airplane has come to a full and complete stop. And of course, what happens? All the Israelis get up and all the, uh, all the Anglos sit down, you know, stay seated until the airplane comes to a complete stop. So Israelis are not known for always listening to instructions. But here they are. So I, I, I wrote, I think, like, it's interesting, I thought about Esther, and how Esther, Esther did not reveal her identity to Ahasuerus when she was told to. It says, Mordechai commanded her not to tell, and he didn't really tell her why. And it's not clear whether she knew why or whether she didn't know why. But in the end, and it says, it says that Ahasuerus clearly brought great, great pressure upon her. You know, later on, later on, it's in Perk Bet. It says, You know, when, when they brought in the Betulot the second time, once said Rabbi Dan say, well, why do you think they brought in the Betulot the second time? Because he said, listen, I'll get another, you either do what I want, I want to know who you are, or I'll, I'll find another queen. And it still says, nonetheless, it says, she, would not, she still wouldn't reveal her identity. Okay? Like she was when she was omna, omen, when she was omen. But amen, omenut is a sense of a trust. 
There's a sense of connection and trust. And I think when you're living here, that's, it's something that's very difficult to, to, to convey, but there's that sense of we're all in this together, that there's a sense of mutual responsibility. For the same reason that Safta will go to you on the, the grocery store and say, oh, your kid is like, you know, throwing up, take care of that or whatever. There's that, that sense of mutual the sense of mutual care, mutual trust. And there isn't like one big family kind of thing. And, you know, when Bibi says it's, it's Saba and Safta and it's your father, he's, he is consciously raising this specter of being a family. And I think that that sense of amnaito is something that you feel very strongly here. And me personally, I find it very reassuring that you, yeah, it's not strangers and it's not, it's not other people, it's all of us together. And I think that's one reason why you see Israelis listened Whereas in other countries where they don't have that sense of community and sense of, of, of trust in one another, they're not as successful in this, how do you say it, lowering the curve, as it were. Molly, you wanted to say something. Yeah, no, I just wanted to tell Johnny that um, I totally agree with what he said. He said it very beautifully. I actually um, used your article on Simcha. I've started incorporating it into my teaching on Megillat Esther. And uh, I had the same experience with my students. And the truth is, when I went in last Wednesday, I was also in this place of struggle, and I, and I worked... I taught my students and, I, and I, I, I felt very comforted and they actually helped me work through some of the stuff. And what they came to, what I came to with them, let's say, is, is exactly what you articulated, which is the ability to hold, um, basically, I'll just say it in a simplistic way, which is, and this is from Stephen Covey, he talks about having a larger circle, which is our circle of concern, and then a smaller circle, which is our circle of control and our circle of influence. And he says, wisdom is knowing, right, what's in which circle. Right. And, and if something's mm -hmm. in your circle of concern, but not your circle of influence, then wisdom is letting that go, like holding the awareness that you're concerned about it. But stop trying to control the uncontrollable. Right. You let it go. I, I, I don't I, right, I, I don't know what's going to be in three weeks. I can't control what's going to be in three weeks. So I can accept the concern, but I let it go. And I think for uh, the mess in terms of the message of Purim, it's that message that like and again, it's a Purim is the perfect um, for that because it's the hysteria and it's the uncertainty and it's the smoke and the mirrors and the masks. I don't know, but I do. For those of, for those of us who are who have faith, I do. There have a place to rely on God and have this sense of faith that. And and I like Johnny's article because Johnny's article is that sense of faith doesn't mean that I know that everything's going to turn out the way I want it to, but it is a sense that like I'm not in control, but I, I have the freedom to let it go because I feel like there is something or someone else that is in control over there, right? I can give it up to, to like, to God or to the master of the universe or to whatever, wh wh however you envision that place where you can like let go of the things that you, that you can't let go. And again, for my students, that's very much a, um, an Amuna kind of a, le a lesson. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, once I've let go of that stuff, what's in the circle of control? What can I do? Right, which is kind of what you were saying, Johnny. It's like, and for you, the answer, and I think for many of us, I think and it's a great answer, is, well, how can I be of service, right, to myself and to others? And, and I think the point about the social isolation is an important one. I think we've seen it on social media. And interestingly, I've seen it not only from um, Orthodox people who are, let's say, in single communities, but non-religious or non-Jewish people who live alone, who are, who are concerned about the social, social isolation. And I think that that, you know, oh, we talk a lot about social media and the negatives. Here's a way in which social media can be a real positive. And I think I've seen some very nice posts about, you know, replacing physical contact with emotional contact, with emotional connection. And I think that's something that's really valuable. And I, I agree with, with Ruby. Um, I think the reasons that Israelis have followed the order. Wait, let, me, let me just add, Molly. It's not, yeah. I feel social media is not enough. Last night, my son got off the phone and he's like, oh, I called. I had a friend in Bidud and I called him. We talked for half an hour. 
Meaning social media should be the avenue no, to no, say, are I you in isolation? Yes. But I didn't give me your number. Right. Correct. That's I didn't mean the social media. I meant, you know, um, not non-physical ways of connecting. 100%. That you can still use while, we're, while you're isolated physically. 100%. Right? So absolutely 100%. phone calls and whatever it is. Um, you know, so again, I think Israelis are responding well but for the reasons we said. I think they do trust their leadership. Um, and I agree with you. I, I, I was very moved, actually. I went, I had to go in for a physical therapy appointment. And the physical therapist said to me, and this is, again, this is last Sunday, before everything went, you know, as extreme as it did. She said, yes, this is going to be big. But, but this is, and it was before Purim. She said, this is what we have to do. She said, what's the message? And she said, this is fighting Amalek. Because Amalek attacks the weak, right? And we can't be the people who say, it's not me, it's not my problem, I'm not in the demographic. We have to care for the weak, right? We have to care for the elderly. We have to care for the immunocompromised. Good right? board, and, man. That was awesome. I was like, I'm just going to say that all poor him. Like, I think that's an amazing, amazing board. But I think that that really is our strength. And I, and I love that BB said last night, right? Well, he, he, he like brought it down to nuts and bolts. He's like, usually when your kids are home, you call Safta. Don't call Safta. Right? He's like, now your job is to protect Safta, right? You're, now it's the teenagers, big kids that should be watching the little kids, right? And the sense of like, the, the reason that we're in it, he's, the reason he's giving us to social distance is to, is to protect others and to protect, to protect each other. And I think that's really powerful. And by the way, I do think that in America, that's the impetus behind the Jewish communities that are doing this, right? Meaning the rabbis and the shuls, and perhaps they don't have the same sense of a, of a leadership they can trust. Um, I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. In terms of like the government or the larger officials, but therefore they're taking. I just mean like they're not as interconnected as it is here. Here you have a you have a it's very connected. Therefore, they're doing it in their communities, right? Right. Therefore, it's their shuls. It's their it's 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 again it's their it's their it's their smaller communities, and that's part. I think that is like a one of the Israeli-American divides, where that's in in Israel we have a sense of national community, which also has minor subsets. In America, a lot of the times the communities are. These, these 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 communal groups, right? And I think that's where they're, that's, and, and that I think is shining in America. I think they're doing a terrific job. I think that the rabbinic authorities there, by the way, and I, this is the last point I'll make, which is that I really do think that like, as Ruby said in the beginning, yeah, I'll just finish up, Johnny. Um, rabbis are, under, are in a tremendously difficult situation right now, right? As Johnny said, things change almost hourly and they have to make halachic decisions and communal decisions that have emotional consequences. And I think overall, I'm really impressed with um, the rabbinic leadership, both here and in the States. Their quick responses, their sensitive responses, their, the, the, the level of responsibility that they're taking, right, for physical safety, but also seriousness about how do we continue a, a, our social connections and, be, and also our religious lives in this environment. And I think it's really impressive, and I, I've been quite moved by that. I want to add another point, which I think, I think bears, bears mentioning. I think that there's also anxiety, not just physical anxiety, but now everyone is entering a certain kind of, and not everyone, most people are entering a certain kind of economic anxiety. Sure. You know, like the stock market, for one, there are many people who are, who are atzmaiim, who, who work on their own, who own small businesses uh, associated with the tourist industry, tour guides, speakers. You know, the work that I do is very dependent on international travel, which is down to zero. Um, but I think it's important, if you're still listening, if you're at this point, to remember, like, if you're in a position to help other people, i.e., if you don't stop your, your, your regular things that you do, and if you're in a position to go out and 
And I would say, you know, not, you know, to, to, to some degree, not to stop your, this sounds simple, not to stop your cleaning lady, not to, not to curtail activities that you can do in order to allow people to have a parnasah, in order for them to have their regular income. I think that's a really important thing because if you're in a position where you're okay, there are many, many people that I know that are in much, much worse situation. They're going to have that are having great difficulty, and especially in Israel, where people very much—it's not—it's not our Anglo culture, but they live much more month to month, hand to mouth. They really, really do. So, it, you know, if you could go in a socially responsible way, I don't know. Do they say not to go to restaurants anymore? I don't. I don't know no, anymore. But let's say a restaurant. That, I'll give you an example. The, 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 there's a local restaurant here, the Papa Melach. They—they're closing down their restaurant, but what they did was they said the Pinachama, which is the place that feeds soldiers, right? That's like a soldier station. The soldier station has asked for no longer to be supplied by baked goods, which is how it usually works. People bake a cake and bring it over. So this right. restaurant said, we'll bake the cakes you because they, they can do it. We'll package it. We'll send it. So we'll, so that's a way to like help a business and help the soldiers. And that's a very smart way to think about how to do what you're saying, Ruby, adapted to our reality. All I'm saying is there are a lot of people that are hurting quite a bit. I talked to a friend yeah. of mine in America. He paid, he paid for... He paid for his Pesach, and the, the, the travel agent here in Israel yeah. didn't return all his money, and he's really upset. And I said, I, I totally understand that you're upset, but understand he's about to lose his business. And there are a lot of people like right. that. Yeah. And, and it, uh, it requires a lot of compassion. If you're, not, if you're in a position of great financial stress, I feel for you. And if you're not, have some understanding and, and understand that there are people in much, much worse positions and... and do your best to have that understanding. That's what I would say. Uh, I, I just want to mention a, a different population while completely acknowledging what you've just said. And, and I know a number of people are really, really uh, suffering because of this. Uh, I, and, and in fact, all of us have connections with various different education institutions. I was in two of the seminaries where I teach in just yesterday. Uh, and the world, the Yeshivan seminary world has been turned upside down. Mm -hmm. Some students often go mm -hmm. home for Pesach. Uh, some students uh, have been worried basically what the implications would be. As a result of that, uh, some have made the difficult decision of going home earlier, knowing that it's possible they may not come back. Others who were planning of leaving have thought, if I may not come back, I'm not losing more time in Yeshiva and Seminary and are staying here. Both of those uh, populations are very, very anxious. I saw a student crying to a teacher yesterday, heartbreaking, because basically she's in a country where we contrasted Israel and America. She's in a country where she perhaps hasn't got much family. I didn't know this specific student. Um, uh, and she's really not quite sure. She doesn't want to give up on these precious months of learning. She misses her family desperately. And either she's going to be alone and hopefully rely on others to look after her here when things are changing with such rapidity, or go home and, get, and, and lose a very, very special part of this wonderful chapter in her life. Uh, so I taught a class to about a third of the amount of students who should have been in class yesterday. A third have already flown back. A third were right then working to, to travel in the next day or so. And the other third were present, and I recorded my class and sent it through to them. Um, but the, the, the uncertainty when you're an 18, 19 year old, you mentioned people who haven't, uh, aren't married, who haven't got children, uh, those who are single, those who, who are divorcees, those who are widows, those who are older. But there are also young, younger students who are here in Israel feeling like foreigners and not quite sure what's the right thing to do, what's a safe thing to do. And before we started recording, we were discussing 
whether if for them to stay, maybe others need to take responsibility for them if they have to be in isolation, which is a really, really huge commitment, uh, which uh, some people are, are reluctant to do. So uh, we need to be empathetic to those who are suffering financially. We need to be empathetic for people who are either back home when they plan to be here or here when now a lot of their friends may well be leaving. There's a real, real unease. Johnny, it's so uh, interesting that you mentioned that. You, just talking about it, it brings me back uh, to 1991. I was, I was in. I don't know if you guys were here. Yeah, I was right. here during during the Gulf War, and I, I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and I was in Shalavim, and actually, at that time, the yeshiva was very, very strongly um, uh, encouraging us to stay in solidarity with Israel mm -hmm. and the gas mask and the whole thing. And I decided to stay. And most of our classmates decided, the vast majority of us decided to stay. And for me, it was, it was a seminal experience in, in my formation, my personality, my connection to, this, to the land of Israel. I don't think these are the same. I actually don't think these are the same instances. And it's a very gut-wrenching thing for a young person. I think your point is, is quite well taken. You know, I, I think it makes sense for them to be at home. I really do. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's very painful to know that, uh, that uh, they probably won't come back for the rest of the year. And God willing, the solution should be that they all should come back to Shana Bet when everything comes down. I mean, it, it sounds flippant, but I'm not being flippant. I think that that's, you know, if they miss their time, they should take another semester. Okay, but Ruby, there, there, there you go back to being sensitive. Some people have economic issues with that. Uh, 100%. I, 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 um, you're right. Absolutely yeah. right. I, I, I'm sensitive to that. 100%. Yeah. I, I want to say one other thing about that, which is that I had, I'm having the same experience as Johnny, and I also, Ruby, flipped back to that year. And actually, for me, it was a great lesson in growth and in empathy because during during that year, um, I also chose to stay, and I didn't understand students who left at the time. And again, I don't think it's the same situation, and you can maybe make distinctions, but like, I, I was like, how, how could you leave? How could a person leave? And here I am now, you know, much older, advising my students from a different perspective, having learned, I, I hope, gained some wisdom. And, and, and again, every student in their own situation, but there are a lot of students that like, I'm saying like, just go home, it's fine. You're miserable, you're stressed, you're anxious, and you're tense. Do not allow a guilt trip that, oh my gosh, if you can't focus because you're so anxious, it's fine, right? And I'm giving them permission to go home because, meaning not that I'm giving them permission, but like emotional permission to go home and to not feel bad about that. And, and it like, it actually helped me. I was like, wow, that like just like opens another crack in my heart to have empathy, right? And like, I'm, I'm, I'm open, to, mm -hmm. I'm able to like almost retroactively open up an empathetic like sliver of my heart that maybe I didn't have in 1991, when I was young and 18 and idealistic and didn't understand why people were going home. And now I'm like in a totally different place and really I'll have a lot more empathy for that. Like if you can't focus and you're so concerned and your brain is like, again, like the prefrontal cortex, which is where the emotional reasoning is and the, and the language processing and the ability to think is not online because you're panicking. You need to get yourself safe, emotionally so safe. So I would say one of the big difference is that this is a global thing. And see what I was thinking sure. about this morning what so it, then in in that time it was really like the Gulf War and Israel and the sense of if you remember like there was a news report about a why you flight coming to Correct. Israel in solidarity. It's not the same exact thing. So I'm just saying for it's me, it's very very much different. And then different. the guilt trip was about how could you leave us? Zionism, exactly. I'm just saying yeah. for me, like, <laughs> I, I have. I don't know if you could figure it, know this by podcast. I I can tend to move to to the quick because I have strong opinions. I can I have to fight against my desire to be judgmental. And that's a piece that I that's my part of my avoda. And so anything that helps me a little bit open up, like maybe I was a little too quick to like 
draw judgmental conclusions or, or like, you know, even have thoughts about people's choices. It's always healthy, I think, to like, again, like break your heart open a little bit, let in a little bit more of the light of empathy into those, into those cracks in your heart. I just think that's just a, a it's just even if you think they oh, think disgusting jokes are funny. Uh, yes. <laughs> We're not going there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we can but yes, even if I disagree with your take on, you know, whether something's appropriate or not, I can open my heart and be like, it doesn't mean you're, you're a bad person and you're... you're I, I, do, I, do, I do want to mention, and this is because this is a topic of my dissertation, about the impact of smartphones on the yeshiva and seminary experience. Because when we were all in yeshiva and seminary, uh, those institutions, what is known as a total institution. Basically, you're shut off, you're, you are disconnected from what was going on really around you. You may have heard the news, you may have called home once a week, but that was how things are. Now, the, with cell phones, it doesn't really matter whether it's a smartphone or not, but basically with the possibility of, of uh, perpetual contact, you are more aware of what's going on around you. Shivan Seminary, no matter where you are, isn't a total institution. And obviously, there are pros. It's good to keep in contact with people outside. Obviously, there are cons. And in my dissertation, I explore the subtlety of that topic. But nevertheless, if you're an 18-, 19-year-old young man or young woman, you are completely acutely aware of what's going on at home and what's going on around you here. And that contrast is always on your mind. Now, that's on a regular basis. Here in these difficult days, uh, the, the contrast, I think, is even more particularly resonant. And so the gap between what seems to be a slightly more normal life in some communities in North America or, or Canada or England, as compared to what's going on here, where we've taken very radical steps to try and uh, get on top of uh, the, the, the spread of corona, precisely because we've got very limited resources, um, I think has led a lot of people to make that very, very difficult decision. But that's certainly a further factor why the stress level is different now to how it was in 1991. Uh, that doesn't mean that the threat um, is either worse then or worse now necessarily. It's just the awareness of that threat is very different. Okay, I think this is a good place to stop. Uh, I, I, I want to say thanks to Molly and Johnny for having this conversation. I, I, I guess, Molly, what I needed was to do the normal thing, to record on a Friday, and, uh, and you know, our listeners can answer and tell us if that's something that they're feeling as well. Uh, for me, it was definitely, definitely beneficial, and I very much appreciate it. I want to thank all of you. If you have comments, we'd love to hear from you. You know, you can share on our Facebook page. You can send us messages. We get them, and uh, we'll be happy to discuss them. If you want to share your thoughts, if, uh, you know, if we missed something that's important that you want us to share, please let us know. And uh, God willing, as, as the world deals with this, it's not going to end in a week or two weeks. We'll continue to record, and, uh, and, uh, and if you have thoughts and topics that you'd like to discuss, please feel free to share it with us as well. My name is Ruven Spolter. I want to thank Rabbi Malibrowski, Rabbi Johnny Salomon, and my son Patechi Spolter each week for our music. Uh, if you don't mind sharing this uh, podcast with your friends, liking us on the uh, on the iTunes or the Spotify or any of the other platforms that you listen on, that of course helps us get the word out about the podcast. All right, everybody, please stay healthy, stay safe, and Hakadosh Baruch should bring uh, a quick end to this uh, worldwide place. Amen. Culture.